The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC Hamburg Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Savages, this is the Protect Your Neck podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. Analysts' work you can find at MMAJunkie.com and five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But on this year's podcast, the Protect Your Neck podcast, we break down high level MMA. And today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this, hopefully before the fight, we're going to break down UFC Hamburg uh, as usual from bottom to top. Uh, just a couple notes real quick, because it's going to be, of course, an expedited version whenever we're doing within this, uh, you know, 24-hour frame, time frame, if you will, before the card, which, let's just say, whenever I'm doing it at this point of the podcast for those loyal followers, which I appreciate. Um, short note, you know, just, just one apology this week and, and a reminder attached to it that, yes, in August, I will be taking a break, but... Revamping, uh, revamping things, um, revamping things to make sure that I come back strong and essentially to peel back the curtain. The plan, the plan is not just to be consistent uh, with the Protecting Act podcast on a week to week week basis, and uh, of course bringing uh, breakdowns and high level, uh, you know, breakdowns. I guess with uh, low level humor, <laughs> however you want to, however you want to put it. Um, but yeah, top five episodes. Uh, that's been something that I've been really kind of like bummed about. I'm having like top five withdrawals. I know some of you guys are too. And when I initially said I'd do the podcast, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do these top five episodes like for the off weeks. Because there actually seemed like there was off weeks for whatever reason. Even though the UFC turned up their schedule since you know 2013, 2014 or so. But yeah, uh, it hasn't been that way. It's only gotten busier for not just the UFC schedule, other people's schedules, the Bellator's kind of turning up their schedule and, and flurries. And, of course, Dan Tom from personal, mainly professional, my schedule's been turned up as far as uh, duties and so forth. So just trying to get settled this first year, it's been it's been crazy. But thanks for staying along with the ride. It's well, been over a year for the podcast, but you know what I mean. It's been a crazy last year. In general, but yeah, revamping things in August, which includes, by the way, uh, Stitcher and other audio uh, platforms like SoundCloud, which, I, to be honest, I thought SoundCloud was going away. There was like news of that like a year ago or something, I thought, but then it, it just, I guess that was just me, and maybe it was an excuse I was just grabbing onto to be lazy and further procrastinate uploading to different platforms, but that is going to, that is going to stop part of the revamp. On the, whoop, yeah, we're back. Uh, part of the revamp and the break I'm taking. Let me take my finger off the record button there. And the break I'm taking that it will... Uh, hold on one second. It's <laughs> so good. It's so good. It's so good. Sorry uh, for that. And sorry for all the fucking poor German uh, slaughtering of the language and, and uh, of the nice people that uh, I will be impersonating throughout this podcast. Because we in Hamburg, yes, the German people has not seen Dan Tom since 2009. Uh, since he rolled through Hamburg and other places of Germany, which we... They might visit here in the podcast. 
uh, very nice people, Germans, but um, yeah, unfortunately I could not uh, speak fluent uh, Deutsch like my father could. Um, and uh, so you will be getting a very slaughtered, uh, bad version when I choose to turn it on during this podcast. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm going to be doing different platforms and stuff and, and uploading to those. Um, but yeah, of, of course, you should be able to tough it out at least. Thank you for toughing it out and going to MixMarshallAnalyst.com forward slash podcasts. And I know I have all the old breakdowns up front. I really got to just kind of do some house cleaning there too as well. So that's that's a part of the to-do list in August. But uh but yeah, man. Yeah, um, the top back to the top fives. Uh, my plan now for the top five instead of off weeks, since there are le- less of those, uh, essentially just making 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 it one, once a month. That way, it's a nice target. It's a doable target, and it gives the proper attention, allows me, and more importantly, the guests who's taking uh, time out of their uh, you know their their precious schedules to to join me, um, and making sure that we have the time to make the best episode. Um, usually they've, they haven't had an issue. They've all honestly been great in their own ways, honestly. So, uh, and, and you guys seem to enjoy them. So thank you. But, but yeah, I figured that's kind of the most optimal way to do it. Uh, one a month and I'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll see what else, what else, um, ties to that. But, but, but as far as my end goes, that is my goal. Um, so yeah, that, that that's what's been going on uh, as far as lately. Not much to recap. Uh, it's a little too late now, and again with the impending card, I don't want to spend too much time. You know, uh, there's been a lot of you know UFC 226 fallout. Which, by the way, thank you, uh, Paul Andrew, Syracuse Radio at the Score 1260 for having me on the radio to UFC 26 fallout and, and such. It might have been the last time I, I think I, I podcasted with you guys because I don't think we talked last card in Boise. Uh, but yeah, and uh, speaking of uh, you know notely news, I really let's be honest. The only thing that's happened since UFC 226 or since International Fight Week that's noteworthy as well. Phil Baroni, Phil Baroni's hog. Uh, that picture, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh, just kidding. I, I had uh, next to next to Paul uh, Andrews' name. I have a bunch of just just people I just wanted to shout out real, real quick. And one of them was I bring up Baroni. One of them was a, a Wesley Colvin uh, at True UK fan from the MMA Analysis, a fine podcast. And and, uh, and I just want <laughs> Wes is some of the more entertaining uh, analysis. And uh, let's be honest, uh, the master of the hog analysis there. So as much as I appreciate all you for tuning in for my analysis, and as much as I venture. And take hard left turn down dark alley sometimes. You know, Dan Tom, not afraid to do. Uh, you got to give credit where credit is due. So uh, shout, shouts to Mr. Colvin, man. <laughs> and since, since uh, Hog Talk since seemed to be just taking from week to week from fighter to matchup to now, you know, Connor or whatever, just for whatever reason, it just seems to persist in the MMA sphere, which says a lot about us, doesn't it, as MMA fans and, 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 uh, and the community. Yes. Anyways, uh, Mike Pendleton. Hey, shout out to Mike Pendleton at MP2310. Of course, uh, shout out to my man, Jesse, uh, one of the hardcore listeners of this podcast at MMA247 feed. Um, yeah, all right. That's it for the shout outs. And, uh, and of course, everybody in Junkie Radio, follow me there five days a week and whatnot. Uh, who, who, uh, follow the show, I should say. Uh, there five days a week at MMA Junkie Radio uh, on Twitter, and put up with uh, my random interjections in the show, especially uh, this last week where I was 
comparing what was it the whitest basketball players you know we talk about lineal titles right where strike force the, the pride titles went well i was talking about lineal titles in basketball of, of uh what was it this way the, the whitest dudes to play the game where you know we talk about the utah jazz and uh chicago bulls final series is all about the jordan and that that narrative no man it was uh it wasn't even John Stockton, to be honest. It was it was Steve Kerr and Jeff Hornacek were fighting for the whitest dude in the in the, in the world title as far as NBA basketball players go, man. And uh, those guys were the whitest fucking dudes, man. Like especially Steve Steve Kerr was like not just white but like short. Like I I swear like Steve Kerr was five six. Like I I know he's a coach now and maybe it's more apparent when he's in a suit. But when he was in just like a basketball player, like a little kid out there, I'm like really what. Is- Anyways, we guys put up with my random rants. Oh, and Weird Refs was another one. Weird Colorado. Colorado, I went on this tangent before, is the weirdest ref. So, y'all putting up with my random, random tangent shouts. Drew Jitsu, I'm looking at you for that. All right, let's 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 get to the card, if if we will. Um, from bottom to top, as per usual. Uh, let's start with the fight pass portion. And, well, yeah, we got, we got a play, actually, uh, right off the bat. Damien Stashiak, which I ended up pulling the trigger on, waited till it got to minus 105. I didn't get it early when he um, get it as if like some kind of predetermined like it's gonna cash. This is a, a really close play. I'm kind of just playing off principle, which I'll get the ping you ping you on Lu in one second. But uh, Stashiak, uh, yeah, he opened as a dog to ping you on Lu and uh, went up to a favorite. I think people maybe kind of saw the angle that uh, I'm taking and I'm about to about to explain here. And uh, then it kind of leveled back out um, because people were liking Ping Yuan Lu. Maybe they were able to see more relevant fights than I were able, able to grab because um, I wasn't able to grab everything. There was some spots of the footage from Mr. Lu that I could not find from the Chinaman. I know it is racist, but Dan Thomas have Chinese, so you will have to deal with it. Um, but yeah, Ping, Ping Yuan Lu is, is is also you know part of this uptrend. Perhaps I could could be responsible. These Chinese, which is weird to say uptrend in Chinese fighters, which I've been waiting to say, you know. Dan Tom, you know, Water Zunger and you know, Pinya, you know, you know, he loves you know Chinese pride over here, but um I think I just said Chinese discount. Fuck. Anyways, I'm jumping from accents to language, forgive me. Um Yeah, yeah, you know I'm excited, but it's also weird in many sense because China's not exactly the powerhouse, but whether it's government, whether it's kind of the UFC, what they did with the South American and Mexican fighters, there's these uh not so talked about unwritten sponsorship programs where they go and, and train abroad. And, uh, well, perhaps government because it is China and you can't, like, sneeze or leave the country without the government say so. So, uh, yeah, so you see a lot of these guys, like Ken and Song going to Jackson Wink or uh, Song Yadong. Um, and which, by the way, Ping Lu uh, had his stints in 2017 in Jackson Wink as well. But Ping Yuan Lu, like Song Yadong. Uh, going to Team Alpha Male, which is, you know, um, no stranger, maybe not so much the Chinese, which is a little more new, but just the Asian fighters in general, as they know, Turuto Ishihara and, and other, you know, Japanese products and, and affiliations that they've kind of reached out to Japan. Uh, so that's, uh, sorry, my voice is losing again, Dan Tom, not really. Uh, slept over six hours, probably in a week. So uh, my voice is just going. It's not it's the, the rest of the vocal cords. And maybe if you just shut up and stop doing your voices, just get the breakdown. Your voice, okay, okay. Pyang Yuan Lu. Um, there's a lot of athletic base there, uh, as far you know, uh, uh, to work with. You know, even if you go back from his early footage, he definitely, you know, uh, 
can throw a one-two down the pipe, can throw kicks, can throw off the break. His head's in the right place as far as where to throw. Uh, I mean, he's not no Floyd Mayweather defensively, but he's not exactly, you know, defensively liable and just throwing his hands down like a Diego Sanchez either. I mean, he is aware of space. He is aware that shots will be coming back to him when he's throwing. Uh, so the clay is ripe for molding, if that makes sense. Um, grappling, like many eager guys, just like a little too 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 eager. Like uh, a lot of these Chinese guys are surprising me with their jujitsu, as far as their competency, as far as the positions that they pursue to the positions that they defend from, are able to defend from, sure, and transition from and to and from defense to offense, all exceeding expectation. The problem is. It's uh, like you see, this, you hear this term uh, used a lot, blue belt level, as far as uh, the risk management goes to where the, hey, they're showing better defense than I thought, but they're showing all these defense uh, examples because they're just getting themselves through their aggression. They're getting themselves into bad positions. And I just, I just see that a lot. Now, a place like Team Alpha Male is going to get a lot of good looks from submissions and positions there. I don't doubt. But is he going to have the discipline to, to, to not put himself in those positions, you know? That's not something you would typically work from in practice. In the practice room, you're tr- you're, you're trying to work on so many other things, slash as the coach, even a coach trying to closely watch you, there's so many other things calling for their attention, whether it be in the room to whether it be your style, especially if your style is requiring the type of garden-type molding, watering, and tending to that any young fighter is going to have, right? Now, again, with the young fighter theme, you're going to have to take that and whatever you've been able to develop in the practice room, and test it on the UFC stage and test it on the UFC stage for your first time and test it on the UFC stage for your first time traveling out of your typical potting soil plant that is China and perhaps you might have gotten used to California well you're not going to be in California anymore in fact you're going to now a completely different continent than the any two aforementioned you're going to to Europe Damien Stasiak the more experienced fighters hometown not hometown, but I mean home, home soil. He's, he's, he's right next door. But you invited Poland, uh, right? Um, <laughs> sorry, that was a really random Family Guy reference there. <laughs> uh, excuse me, your your pamphlet for Germany is missing the years 1939 1945. So German people go on vacation. Uh, what about your invasion of Poland? We invited. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I think Stasia is going to be comfortable with that Nazi joke. Uh, Having nothing to do with it. Um, not Nazi joke, Family Guy joke, sorry. Jeez. I don't want to be taken out of context and uh, lose my Disney job like uh, fucking James Gunn over there. Jeez, Dan, stay on target, stay on target. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, sorry about that. But yeah, uh, Stasiak's a more experienced guy. Yeah, he got stopped, but he's tough as shit. Even uh, Brian Kelleher was saying post-fight, I mean, look how many shots it took to stop the guy. The dude can take shots and keep coming. He can be tired, beat up, outclassed, still find ways to win slash stay in the fight. Um, he doesn't throw a lot for a bantamweight, Stasiak does, but he picks his shots, even if they're spinning sidekicks, which are deceptively accurate when he does throw them. But more importantly, the karate style, though it's not really effective for him, it does, for what it's worth, make for an awkward fight because um, it makes for guys awkwardly to read him the way the way he kind of uh, circles, picks, and times his shots. And again, that's going to be something that is more for a veteran experienced guy to work his way around. I don't know how a guy who's still kind of finding himself and having to deal with all those aforementioned hurdles and intangibles is going to to deal with that. Especially because I feel that Stasiak is going to be pushing the grappling too. 
uh, where I feel like he can get top position and control if he can't submit uh, submit this kid. So, yeah, the pick stats, yeah, and you're going to give me a minus 105 next to his name. Yeah, I threw, a, I threw 1.5 units on that. So, uh, you know, again, I could be wrong here, but this is more out of a principal pick. I just don't see why that number is like that. All right, moving on to... Grizzly Kimball. <laughs> Jeremy Kimball. Jeremy Grizzly Kimball versus Darko Stosik, or as I will call him, Dark Dick Stosik. Uh, Dark Dick is uh, Mikor... Mikor... Krokip. Mikor Krokops. Training partner, a Serbian... Uh, Serbian upgraded steel... Um, I guess upgraded. I don't know. It's it's hard to tell, you know. He's uh he's got knockout power. He's got he's a strong guy. He can find, you know, key locks and submissions on top, a positional player. Deceptively strong hips, so even when he shrugs off takedowns, he almost has that vintage like Mirko Krokop, like it rubbed off on him. Like I'm going to like, almost has like an attitude to his shrug when he shrugs guys off. But pretty boring heavyweight though. I mean, so it's, it's the question essentially is just cutting it short. So you don't have to watch the just drawing fucking footage of this guy uh, for what you can what you can find that uh, that is in full. And yeah, I'm mainly referencing his 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 uh, stirring, stirringly epic epic fights with Dion starring. By the way, uh, unintentional comedy is the best comedy, which is probably why me and, and many of you, hopefully listening, like MMA and find yourself laughing when you watch this tapes footage because it's a full of unintentional comedy. And the uh, promos for, I believe it was the second, the rematch, the rematch everybody was waiting for, right? Of uh, Dion Starring versus uh, Dark Dick Stosik was uh, <laughs> Dion Starring. And he's just like, yes, I've been fighting for a long time. I've been fighting since, since you just see him start kind of just struggling, searching the memory bank, searching the files. Since, uh,. Since, and he eventually finds himself. He was like two steps shy from literally like doing the one one moment finger gesture to the cameraman, looking off camera, and going, "Hey, Camille, how long I've been fighting? Twenty four years. Twenty four years. Okay, twenty. <laughs> like it was just it was bad. I mean, watching this guy just fucking struggle just to do the most generic pre-fight interview was fucking." Probably the best fight of researching Dark Dick Stoshik's footage, and it didn't have to do with Dark Dick himself. By the way, why does he call him Dark Dick? Shout out to the DVD Asa, DVD ASA, old school Bobby Dark Dick reference right there. Um, and against, of course, you, you've talked, you heard me talk about Jeremy Kimball. Jeremy Grizzly Kimball, oh, Grizzly is facing the Dark Dick. Things are going to get crazy in Bunyan Town. Uh, yeah, I mean, ah, God, sorry, I won't break down the whole match and the whole prospect for voice like that. That just seems to fucking Tourette's itself to the fucking surface whenever I'm breaking down a Jeremy Kimball fight. But, you know, you don't know what you're going to get with Grizzly. He's deceptive. I think there's going to be a strength difference, but Jeremy is deceptively strong. And in fact, Jeremy is deceptively athletic and agile. Like, he will throw spinning shit. He will, uh, you know, he will, he will, like, have a deceptively quick level change. Um, if he's got momentum going and he's feeling the stride, you're going toward the fence. Like, there's things that he will do. Um, but all roads to me leave to fucking stymie central and this is a big wait and see for me man 
because even though De- Jeremy Kimball is more and deceptively experienced than Dark Dick Steosik against relevant competition, um, Kimball really is arguably still finding himself as a fighter too. Uh, he could be a guy where he could just be really settling into light heavyweight and eventually go up to heavyweight, Roy Nelson style. I hate to just fucking lump him in because of his hairstyle and, and body type. Or he could maybe just, you know, like, you know what, I could probably make middleweight if I, you know, and kind of just go back down there and, and with his style too, kind of molding that. And of course, you know, is Dark Dick Stosic, is he a guy, is he fighting to his level of competition on the regional scene? Or is he uh, what, you know, we suspect from him athletically that there is more uh, to his ceiling and, and he can maybe even buy not a lot, but hopefully translate some of that over to his skills and see that, you know, upgrade his ascension. But I don't know. Uh, the one good thing about Jeremy Kimball is his pace, even when he's not being effective or whether how effective you think he is, he will push a pace that I think will help give us a better answer. Uh, 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 what Dark Dick has to offer, so um, you know, so so I think you know that's the look forward to. But other than that, this is on the avoid list for that reason. Um, uh, for my uh, betting breakdown, it should be up as you hear this over at MMA Junkie. Um, but yeah, uh, Jeremy Kimball plus two ten and, and Dark Dick minus two fifty. I got Dark Dick. All right, next fight: Manny Bermudez minus two ninety versus Davy Grant. Davey Grant here. I'm Davey Grant, and I'm ready to fight. I promise. I promise I'm ready this time. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Davey Grant's always had some weird kind of... Davey's had some delays getting the market. Yeah, I've had some delays, all right. All right, Davey, just let me fucking break down the fight, all right? Stop breathing into the goddamn microphone. And um, he's plus 245. Manny Bermudez, minus 290. I don't agree with the minus 290. Um, Manny Bermudez, I mean, the question kind of coming in his last fight again when I, when I was breaking him down here on, on this here podcast last year, he was, uh, you know, it, it, it was the stand-up, you know. You know, he's getting the boxing training, you know, tra- training in the, the Massachusetts area, the Boston Mass area. There's a lot of boxing out here. I mean, he's not exactly, uh, it's not exactly my parts for Brockton, but, you know, you know, he's, he's there. He's in Mass. He's working. He's working hard. And, uh, but, but... Manny's got that Brian Ortega sense where you can just, you know. Boy, damn time. You're going to offend. Just, just so I'm offending all races. I've offended Germans and Asians. Let's just, you know, let's be honest. Finding Mexicans who can scramble and be good at submissions just seems like a weird, just like, stereotype. And I don't know why it's, like, offensive because that's actually like a positive one. Like, why would you get mad at that? It's a positive. You're saying Mexicans could fucking scrap and fucking. Now that they figured out not, not not just how to box, they can they can get submissions and shit too. Yes, exactly what I'm saying. In fact, I, I mistake him for a team alpha mater male fighter because he he fits that mold, you know, uh, <laughs> like of a Benito Lopez or a uh, Joey. I can't keep track, you know, whatever. <laughs> Joey, yo. Um, but yeah, I got Manny Bermudez here because Davy Grant. You know, when he's winning fights, even when he's winning fights and he's striking, he'll fucking shoot him for takedowns. Like, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Like, the dude can't help himself uh, but grapple, um, but initiate grappling or engage a guy. It's, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, uh, it's got like the Jim Miller disease when it comes to that, you know, except he's not a black belt who latches on to dangerous submissions. He just engages in grappling. And he's overachiever in a lot of senses. I mean, you when you watch the guy, you look at him, you, you look at the guy, and you know, you don't think much. He's just like... He looks like a gangly guy, Davy Grant. Davy, just easy. And, you know, but you watch him on The Ultimate Fighter, and he, he, rounds, his, he rounds his skills pretty well. Um, 
I really think he could do well if he keeps this on the feet. He throws nice volume. He'll, he'll switch stance, faint, throws some deceptively hard kicks, really throws. Davey Bones throws his wings, his bones, and shin bones really well. He does. Yes, that's what I was getting to, Davey. And, he, he, you know, if, if he fights discipline, he could do well, better than that two, plus 245. I don't trust it. Got Mandy Bermudez. It's on my avoid list. Next fight, Alexander Reykjavik. Versus Justin Ledette, Ray Kick plus 105, Ledette minus 125. The line's kind of been steadily right around this, and I agree. Um, I kind of was leaning toward Ray Kick just for the more rounded arsenal, and I feel like he's one of those guys where he's going to get better once he gets more confident with the level of MMA because he's young and just got to the big stage, but also coming from the kick, more kickboxing style. And I think once he gets more confident and building his other skills. But this is a matchup where he's facing a striker, though... How much of a striker is he really facing? Because what do we know about Ledet? I mean, is he guys fighting to his level, which I think he is, but more importantly, you know, granted it was Mark Gompier, but he showed that not just he has competency of one to engage in grappling, go for a takedown, one of submissions there, but he almost has that like attitude and swagger, like, I'll show you what's there when it's there, kind of a thing. And that would worry me if I was a Ray Kick better, you know? Um uh Ledet, is one of those guys that seems like uh, he'll have a point to prove, but he, he has the chip on the shoulder that all fighters have. But he also seems like the guy, he's not, he's not afraid to kind of sit on his sit on a card, you know, to sit on his hand. Um, and and I, I think, I want to think he was, he's doing that, you know, especially if you look at his last fight and the limited, the limited shot selection he was using. And perhaps that could be a lot of that boxing style, boxing mindset. Again, I don't know his training situation. I'm just stereotyping from what we've seen on footage. And when I say, use the broad term of that boxing mindset as far as um, rewarding defense much more than MMA, which can, I could, you, we could just kind of a redundant statement. We could just say rewarding defense because MMA, jokingly with the judging aspect, doesn't really reward defense. It's, defense is a great reward and a great asset, obviously, in the most dangerous fucking sport. But sadly, it's not rewarded. Anyways, neither here nor there. Not an argument for this podcast, but... But uh, and and being able to control and dictate a fight, even if it's using simple tools, um, not just given more credit to in a realm like a boxing and the way they, they judge it, but looked at from maybe not so much the judging, but more just all encompassing from judging to the combatants themselves as a shit. I'm just schooling you with just this. Not again. Not exactly received the same way in MMA. Uh, so that could be worrisome, especially if this, this one thing ends up tight. What else could be worrisome is the fact that if you're listening to MMA Junkie Radio, that Ledette, um, they, they fucked up his, like, I guess this has happened to him before, poor guy, uh, like his last fight, but they fucked up his luggage um, out to Germany, and he had all his meals out there. And that sucks, man. I, I, I'm not even a fighter, and I've just been buying like a bunch of, uh, pre-prep meals for the week and it makes life so much easier i'd be so pissed if i had all my meals fucking just lost and fucking ruined uh, much less if i was a pro fighter not just a pro fighter ledette is making his first cut to 205 so kind of troublesome oh there's a big bird sitting outside my window and if ben sees it he's gonna freak the fuck out so my dog starts barking that's why um but yeah he is uh oh by the way i moved into a new place since uh i last saw you well yeah i the last podcast too but I didn't mention it anyways but yeah Ledet didn't have his uh you know his meals so uh that's that's that could be that could be troublesome that could be very troublesome very troublesome but 
I think uh, in that same Lede- and I, I know Ledet couldn't really couldn't really say, but he kind of gave a nod there. And uh, when I brought up the Donald Cerrone Nate Diaz uh, dynamic, ah, my toe. Um, and uh, eh, sorry, I can jack my toe. Another story, neither here nor there. Um, and I think we could see a Nate Diaz Donald Cerrone type battle. Uh, we'll see. I stayed the fuck away. I didn't. Did it? Yeah, it did make my avoid list. I stayed away from it. All right, next fight. Kali Taha, plus 210. Nads near Nad Nirmani, minus 250. Nads, I got Nads here. Um, he's the more well-rounded. He's also another guy who's been training at Team Alpha Male doing stints, uh, which came in handy when he stepped up to the plate to face uh, Kelvin Gastelum Light, uh, Nazrak Hackpras, which we'll get to later. And... Uh, but the 11th hour eye injury, freak eye injury, took him out. Um, they give him another shot here. They rebook him, even though the guy he's facing is still on the same card, which we'll get to later. Against Kali Taha, who, um, you know, up until this card, I only really saw his Risen fights. So it was really, uh, it was really hard to say because that was some of the most more most relevant footage I could find. A and also had a lot of grappling footage, which I think is really key when you're watching a guy like Nad Nirmani, where whether you think he fights the right fight against the right opponent, which I think for the most part he does. Um, and he, for the most part, beats the guys he's supposed to beat. Um, but he relies on that athleticism and underrated wrestling, which I have to imagine is getting better trading state side um, to change gears and kind of dictate terms. That's kind of Nad's go-to thing because Nad is, you know, your typical, not typical, um, typical saying, I should say, of that I'm going to use to describe uh, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, so to speak. Um, so it's usually, it comes within that transitionary terms of where he's going to dictate whether or not we're going to see him see him do well in a match. Because, because again, if he's not doing well in stand, he'll go to the ground, vice versa. Um, and I think he's going to try to grapple because when you look at it, uh, you know, Khalid comes from the Taekwondo base, but you wouldn't know it, which I like. Because usually, especially me, I can... Coming from that base and karate bases, I could sniff out when the guys come from that base, especially the taekwondo, because they don't just have a traditional martial arts dance. It's much, it's 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 more shortened and much more hoppy and bouncy, right, than a karate stance. He doesn't do that. He actually keeps his base underneath him really well and keeps pretty firm. Uh, throws punches. You can tell there's real power to him. Uh, puts it together really well. Uh, comes forward. It's got some good triggers uh, to counter and in the heat of exchanges that I like. Um, but I'm, uh, I question the wrestling, you know, he's got some wrestling accolades that are amateur from the German scene. I don't know how, how well those are, you know, um, and, uh, it's hard to give an honest, uh, honest account. Cause when you look at him against, you know, the Japanese op- opposition in risen, it was tough to say against, uh, was Tafumi. I can't remember his fucking name. The second to last guy he fought, like, for example, like a lot of his best positions were off of his opponent's mistake. And let's be honest, that was a ring too. So you know how much of that? Okay, well, would he have would have been able to hit that sprawl and plant and and use more of his athletic base if he had more of a cage and corner to plant off of than a ring? And there's all these questions that we're not going to really know until we get in there. Plus, we might not even know it if his first off his first uh, attempt because again, this is this is his UFC debut. Um. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, but uh, what is it? There we go. 
Yeah, not much to say about this one, really. Um, I stayed away. It's not on the avoid list, but I, I'll be avoiding it, so say what you will. But I got Nazanir Mani. All right, Bartosz Fabinski, plus 130 versus Emil Weber-Meek, minus 150. Um, saw some chatter online on people looking at Fabinski, and maybe it was that. that maybe it was like, oh, what the hell? I got Meek. But when I looked at it, I didn't change my opinion, but I stepped off the gas, and I didn't make any plays on this one. Um, I, I, I didn't put it on the avoid list, but I avoided it. I can see why people like Fabinski because, you know, wrestlers are going to be probably the best thing to go against a guy like Meek um, who can finish on the floor or on the feet, right? He's a really potent finisher. He's only getting bigger and building his skills on an already potent athletic base. A wrestler on paper is what's going to do it. Fabinski's fought at 185 even though he's not the biggest welterweight. So I guess you can see on paper, oh, he's got a good winning streak. But it's funny because everyone's like, oh, he's super shitty when, you know, in his, in his two UFC fights going into it. And I didn't have anything on paper to represent for the Gareth McClellan fight. But by the time he fought his second fight, I did uh, on MixedMartialAnalyst.com. And I, I took Fabinski over Urbina. I believe he was an underdog. Uh, I don't have it in front of me now. But I know that the faith wasn't high regardless of what the numbers said. And I didn't see it because, you know, my angle was a lot of the people's angle on this one, I imagine, which is, well, what other angle can you have? Fabinski doesn't do anything but wrestle. So, again, uh, against Meek style. And I saw the same thing with Urbina. But so I think what happens is it's overcorrecting the steering wheel. You know, Fabinski comes in, wrestles him for the easy money. And I was like, how the fuck did I not see that, right? I had to take advantage of the line. That was very playable, whatever, what have you. And then his next fight, albeit fucking years later, which is a whole other thing, right? Uh, good or bad can't make you the most confident, right? Um, yeah, like okay, I, 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 I guess, but, 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 Mech is, is I don't know. It, I want to say he's underrated when you can make, but he's also overrated at the same time because he's super popular and popularity. Uh, somehow translates to winnability. I don't get that, but that's what the betting line often reflects, which is fine for us sharps. We'll we'll take we'll take we'll take it um, and go the other way with it. Uh, so in that sense, he's he's overrated. But in the sense of you know again, maybe one of the few people to pick him against Jordan Mean, even though they're not saying much against Jordan Mean, especially that time. Even you know, granted, but still, he was an underdog for a reason uh, because people were he just had an overinflated win over um, what's his name. Husamar Pajares, a knife fight. I remember seeing that guy when I was at the UFC, went 84 weigh-ins. Husamar Pajares, like, who's this fucking guy with the scar on his chest? Got in a fucking knife fight. Um, this guy looks like an animal. And then I remember feeling like racist for saying that. And I was just like, oh, this animal was in a knife fight. But then you, you actually learn about Husamar Pajares. Like, That's it's pretty close. <laughs> Anyways. But but then Meek comes in, and, and uh, when I was looking at him going into the the mean fight, I was like, you know, this guy's got some underrated boxing. Like, he's not, like, a great boxer by any means. But, like, his head's in the right place as far as, like, okay, there, there's stuff to build there. Like, he's not relaying being a bully. Like, uh, his head movement might not be completely correct, but he's slipping to the side he's supposed to and coming back with the shot that he's supposed to. When he's throwing his cross, he's rolling under it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's doing things that he doesn't need to do that a lot of guys aren't doing that are fundamentally... Everybody should be fucking doing. So that weighs heavily on me, even though it doesn't seem like much or look like much off maybe to the normal eye. And 
grappling, you know, there's things there. I didn't like that he was going for guillotines, but part of it, uh, you know, against a guy like Usman, part of it, I think he kind of knew he was being taken down, was trying to make the best of it, and was deceptively good at making himself like a, uh, as when, as Robert Drysdale taking classes under him back in 2008 would best describe. Uh, <laughs> Drysdale wasn't a Jew, but he used the dreidel. And I loved it, is especially when we were talking about like stuff like, uh, you know, pendulum sweeps or as in jiu-jitsu kind of like flower sweeps, I believe they call it, or uh, guillotine sweeps. Anything where you really need to have a, a real rounded back to make to really make the roll happen. And sometimes you don't even need all of the momentum, and your opponent doesn't even need to be or feel that much out of position. But if you're really good at rolling your back, you can create. An angle that uh, kind of like you know, uh, let's just let's say there's a, like a, a rocky structure, like you're you're hiking up in the Rocky Mountains, and you know like a like like in the movies where like you know the surface soil starts moving underneath a boulder and it shakes loose, and the boulder starts rolling downhill. You can kind of do that with your back, where you almost change the surface soil with your back to the mat, and you start crunching your back and you make almost like a dreidel. Now all of a sudden all that weight that was being supported by a flat back of not just your weight but your opponent's weight on top of you now is all just resting on a fine point. Not pinpoint obviously but pretty close to a point if you can make it and then makes a, a that alone creates a momentum drop that you can use to kind of spin and sweep. And he almost got to spin on his initial one but as you can see the, the, the odds were that way in that fight for a reason. So you gotta gotta weigh it, okay? You gotta out wrestle, but that is the style that is. You're right, that is the style that is gonna outdo him. But it was against the highest level of dudes, and since then he's been putting in quality time with guys like Kevin Lee, and um, even Usman himself. The guy got out wrestled by. I mean, you gotta love that attitude. Now, will it translate? I don't know, but those are the right things, you know. Revamping and coming out here to Vegas to train, but not just training. I'm gonna fucking train at the Performance Institute, like, you know. Ninganu, uh, but no, he's actually you know training with the right people um, and bringing the right disciplines, working on his weaknesses and so forth. So, excuse me, excuse me. I really like that. Um, but yeah, uh, minus one fifty. If it gets any lower, I may play it just as, as a degenerate, just because uh, that'll be playable then and whatever. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm staying away. Good luck if you're playing Fabinski. Like I'm 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 not hating it, but uh, again with the layoff and all that, and uh, he, him not showing or wanting to show anything more, you know, if he's forced if he, if he's forced to do so, uh, you know, eat a knee and and, and some elbows in there, and you know, and uh, you know, I don't know. It's a lot of wait and we'll sees for both sides there. All right, last fight on the prelims before we take a quick break will be uh, Demir Hadzovic plus 140 versus Nick Hein. It's the German. It's the German Hein. Uh, Nick Hein, I look like, uh, what is his name from the movie? I can't hardly wait. Would you like to touch my penis? No, they actually have a German foreign exchange student. That's what I'm not talking about. Uh, Ethan Embry. Yeah, that, the Ethan Embry. The Nick Hine looks like the Ethan Embry. Yes, Jennifer Love Hewitt, he's trying to. Maybe not. Versus Hadzo. Hadzovich. The guy who I've seemingly picked every time. And yes, I wonder, by the way, let me know, Protect Your Neck podcast listeners. We all have biases, so obviously there's going to be some fighters, no matter what uh, person or podcast you listen to, I'm sure we all have tells, right? 
But are there people that you can tell, like, oh, when, when a card gets announced, you go, oh, I know Dan Tom's going to pick this guy. Oh, I can tell Dan, oh, Dan Tom's going to pick this guy. Are there people like that? And A, and B, is it because is it that certain person and I've either just been bad at showing my hand or have been, which I'm, I'm pretty honest for the most part, I like to think, just honest about my biases? Or is it like a... Like, oh, this is a, you know, a, a southpaw, a durable southpaw, da-da-da-da. I know Dan Tom always likes these guys, and you can kind of just piece together on your own now, just just, just by fighter fighter archetype, not necessarily the fighter themselves. I don't know if that makes sense, but, but let me know. You know let, let me know. A, I'm curious, and, and B, it keeps me you know somewhat in check, as all information does. All information is useful depending on how you use it. All right, um, but yeah, I, I am. Yes, I am going with Hadzo. Uh, that said, I, I'm surprised. I, I figured Hadzo would be like a, a plus two fifty or something in this spot because Hein should be the favorite. He, um, even if Hein was doing the same shit in Germany, which he's not, he's been out in L.A. I think even before this camp, doing that whole thing with um, um, Florian Huerta. I don't know, just those fucking L.A. dudes, all those like Danzig. I don't know, like not, not PKG or whatever, but. I don't know, but then you're know, training with a uh, uh, fucking Hardunk, Anthony Hardunk. Yes, uh, I am Henry Hoof's bigger, more retarded-looking brother. Sorry, no, <laughs> Jesus, Dan. Wow, you're, again, I'm offending everybody in this podcast. We're we're keeping the offending all around and sprinkled like a nice salad. I'm just sprinkling my offensive seasoning all over it. All right, Dan, onward. Um, yeah, essentially, Nick Hines should be able to stick and move, and his judo kak should be able to dictate the terms like it normally does. He only goes for takedowns when he needs to, but, man, his comfort of the clinch won't be a good spot. Hadzo is a fucking demon in the clinch, man. His elbows, his knees, he's just like a Terminator. But, you know, that Terminator instinct arguably hurts him as much as it helps him. Yes, I can see that. But, um... I do see him eventually paying off. I, I, I see his check hooks when Hine comes in and shots off inside the clinch and off the brakes being particularly potent. Now, those windows by nature are going to be much smaller, but he will force those and whether or not Hine falls into his old habits of going to them. So coupled with those two things, that's where I feel this is admittedly more of a Hail Mary type of thing. Um, he didn't make a play because, the A, the line's not juicy enough, and B... My reason, though I'm sticking to standing by my official pick of him, the, my reason is admittedly uh, not strong enough to be suggesting a play uh, for people, though. Your boy will be playing him uh, personally, though, for what it's worth. I just wanted the line to get better. Uh, yeah, all right. Well, on that beat, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to break down the main card of UFC Hamburg, right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Cucarachas enojadas Right here in the Protect Your Neck podcast for the main card, UFC Hamburg. And like any good main card, it starts off in the lightweight division. That's right. We were just talking about, uh, that's right, Kelvin Gastelum Light, the native German, uh, Nazareth Hackpress, plus 150 
Uh, it's Mark D. Casey, minus 170, who D. Casey is a deserved favorite. By the way, Hack Brown, we're not even done. There's like another brown, there's a lot of brown Germans. Like what? What would what would Hitler think of of his old master race and what has it become? Oh, so what has happened to my master race? Who's these brown people? What are they doing here? <laughs> it's like they're the kind of like the only white German guy. <laughs> By the way, first time listener, I am I am, I am brown, so I'm going to fully exercise that in my tour de offensive uh, that I've I've launched during this podcast. But yeah, <laughs> speaking of Family Guy, you love the. Uh, could you imagine a world where Hitler was still alive? Today on Hitler, we will be talking with Hollywood hunk Christian Slater. <laughs> Christian, I hear you in the movie. We're going to see your butt. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's true, Hitler. <laughs> oh my god, he's going to do it! <laughs> oh, so great. <laughs> if you would like tickets to Hitler, go 213. <laughs> I haven't got much sleep, forgive me, alright? This is, uh,. I don't, I don't got time to revisit these these things, so I revisit it on your time here on the podcast. So, Anyways, um, this is German, Hackbrast. Um, and he, he's, he, I, I really like what I saw from him. I, I took him against Held at, at those crazy odds, and even though it didn't come through, you could see why I did take him. I feel like he at least proved that. Um, doesn't just show natural wrestling as far as he can sprawl and he can shoot. But even just the way he sprawls, and if you look at his lever awareness, like he's reaching back and he's picking and pulling an ankle so that they can't turn the corner on him, and so he can he can turn the corner on them with his sprawl and get an angle um, for advantageous scrambles. Um, man, I just I really like what I see from him, and even stand up wise, I mean, he's got real power. He knows when to counter, uh, and he can come forward. When he's feeling in stride, he attaches that hard body kick from the southpaw stance. So, I mean, even even though he's supposed to not be as good of a striker as Dia Casey on paper, I don't think he's that far behind. Uh, in fact, I like his process more, whether the countering or the pressure fight. And that said, Dia Casey, he's just so unpredictable, so athletic, and you're waiting for him to finally put together his process. That's the thing is, is his process is not one that, I have a hard time getting them on board with, you know, and I hate going against a guy that's so damn talented, picking against a guy that's so damn talented and deserves to be favored. But uh, the problem is, even though he's stereotyped as a striker and actually has really underrated wrestling, DKC does, his underrated wrestling is more toward offense. You know, it's more toward his takedowns. And not only that, even though his takedowns are really good and not that he's not a good scrambler or can't grapple, that's only getting better training an American top team. Um, especially with guys like Dustin Poirier, who's great not just for being a southpaw, you know, having a guy like Hack Barras, but uh, as a grappler, obviously Poirier is an amazing grappler. But more importantly, um, I'm just saying that it's the gas tank. Even if he's doing well or putting aside that maybe he's mainly offense and not defense, which could be a problem against a guy like Hack Barras, who's going to either push his offense or counter the Casey standing offense with wrestling offense, right? Reactionary shots. Not only can it be a problem there, but even if, however the grappling exchanges are initiated, even if D. Casey's winning, technically, if Hack Paras is forcing him into a dogfight, how is D. Casey going to look come second round? You know, the, the, some fights he's looked better than others, but it's still suspect, I think, for the most part. I think we all agree on that, even if you're backing D. Casey in the spot. Um, so... That's kind of my question. I think Hack Brass can create that dogfight. 
the dude looks and acts like he's only getting in better shape each time out. When he has been put in bad spots, um, he's reacted well to him. He hasn't been discouraged, and he's showing improvements each time out. So when I see him, even though against low-level competition, again, not just you're fighting your competition, but you got to remember, this kid's only like 20 years old in like some of these fights, you know, or or something like that. Like, it's stupid how young he is. So it's 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 more, is he making dumb mistakes against low-level guys, or is it... Oh wow, he came back from those mistakes, still won the fights, and uh, looks better and is correct. In fact, look like he's actually addressed those areas in fights after those fights. That's more the question for me, or that's actually more the angle. I guess I you could say that I'm looking at it from. Um, so it was hard. It was kind of a close pick. I'm not super confident on it. That said, the pick I'm confident enough to a pick hack press, and even though it's not confident enough uh, in my reasonings to suggest a play. Um, just because he's one of the few only underdogs that I'm officially picking, yes, I will. Old Dan Tom will be will be playing him, uh, but no, he did didn't make my betting article for that reason. Uh, not a responsible one to recommend for you all. Nine degenerate ass ways. All right, next fight: Stefan Struve plus two hundred, Marcin Tabora minus two forty. Um, you guys know these fighters pretty well. Uh, Dutch style kickboxer versus more European kickboxer and Tabora, who is kind of slow to put his game together because he's more of a grappler. But he has more of that Eastern European Russian style where I'm going to kind of strike, be light on my feet, and just punctuate a lot off that lead leg. I'll kind of like a Rashid Magomedov, though nowhere near as technical as Rashid. I'm just saying like those kind of Rashid's guys like consistently punctuating off the lead leg. That's that's what I mean. Um, so don't get it twisted. But uh, but yeah, Struve, uh, you know, a 2-1 to one underdog spot, over 2-1 to one odds, and any heavyweights outside the top 10 or even outside the top 5, or just any heavyweights. Makes you scratch your head, right? I mean, at least for me when I'm trying to realistically handicap or at least handicap whether or not I'm going to make a play, if that makes sense. Um, so I don't blame anybody for taking Strew, but I'm taking Tabora. I think he's just going to outwork him. I think he works at a higher, more consistent pace. Struve is just not... Struve is inconsistent overall. I mean, he showed to be better during that Volkov fight. Volkov just broke him down. And it sucked because it's like, there's the aggressive Struve we want to see. And then he pays for it with a really brutal loss where he gets broken down and, 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 you know, after having, you know, being close or what he felt was close. He got very excited and almost overexcited, overzealous there. And it sucks. He pays for it. And then what happens, of course, he goes back to fucking conservative Struve. And he even... They even say so in the pre-fight notes before he's going out to face Orlovsky. And uh, I picked Orlovsky, granted, so it didn't worry me. But listening to that, I was like, oh, shit, here we go. We're not getting a good strew because he said, oh, I'm going to be more conservative. I was too aggressive. I'm like, oh, fuck no. It was good that you were aggressive. I'm sure you were too aggressive, but you got to keep some of that. And sure enough, he overcorrected the steering wheel and went back to being way too conservative and lost to Orlovsky. And granted, it was an improved Orlovsky. But, yeah. So... You know, does he does he does he does he do the uh, the first bottle porridge was too uh, the third one was just right. Is he gonna get it just right? I don't know. He's had so many attempts to get it just right. It's hard to it's hard to back that. And, but th- these guys are both coming off of uh, two fight losing streaks, which you know what that means. They're gonna fight more conservative, and you know what that means. Dan Tom likes an over, and they're heavyweights, so you know what that means. Over is gonna be priced at a very Viable and a low round entry point. Uh, it was 1.5 rounds minus 170. I don't know where it opened at, but that's 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 just fine for me. That's that's chalky enough for me um, to do a 1.75 unit play because I think it's going to be a very slogging affair. I do suspect 
Taboy to be on the top end of it because his grappling is good enough to avoid submissions and he's more of a of his better takedowns and more consistent in that regard. So for that alone, I think he's gonna just gonna outwork Struve. But yeah, that's that's zip play. All right, uh, another another brown German. <laughs> Sorry, just sticking it to old Adolf out there. Yeah, done. Because I'm listening to the Protect Neck podcast. You asshole. Uh, Abu Azatar minus two hundred. Uh, Vitor Lex Luthor Miranda plus one seven. I really want to to pick Vitor Miranda, especially after uh, the article I read from Kareem Sedan about old Abu Azatar. All the boo there, and the shit that he pulls. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I don't. Yeah, uh, yeah. It just sounds sketchy. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I should just leave it at that. But uh, but no, I picked a boo here. Um, you know, it's hard. It's just like one of those things you see the K1 titles like ooh, and you watch like that's very simple. But he's he's super athletic, uh, not super durable. He has been hurt. But he recovers well, and he's not a bully in the sense of... He might be a bully, yeah, but he's not a bully in the sense of uh, uh, the bullies that I like to fade, right? The bullies that as soon as they get the smell of adversity, they go completely the other way. No, no. He, he's recovered. He showed he can recover. More importantly, he has a reactionary double leg that he goes to to recover. Now, that's what I see being the difference in this fight. I don't know if he has a wrestling base or not. You hear it mentioned in broadcast, but I couldn't find anything concrete. That being said, his athleticism that does wonders for him in the striking realm also does wonders for him in the wrestling realm. And I think that's going to do him well. Um, he shows enough positional awareness and grappling savvy, eagerness to pass, shoulder pressure to avoid your mainstream streamlined submissions. So even though Vitor Miranda underrated, really good from the half guard from those bottom positions being from Team Noguera, um, not going to get submitted by guys like, uh, he was, you know, was able to be in there with guys like Carlos Jr. and whatnot. Very underrated, okay, but I still think again he's going to be oppositioned, right? Um, if that happens, and just the fact that he has that to go to, so if Vitor starts getting off, finding his flow, starts going upstairs, and if he doesn't ice him clean uh, with Azatar, who you know whether he's changing levels uh, for a takedown to feint a takedown or to load up on a right hand. He does dip his head, so I think both the knees and, of course, yes, obviously the head kicks, because that is Vitor Miranda's shit, are going to be super live. But unless Vitor Miranda ices him that, uh, ices him clean with that, then I don't know how 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 uh, how uh, you know how well Vitor is going to build because he's more of a building guy, right? Vitor, even the fights that he wins, he's always kind of a slow starter. Now he makes really good good do with the windows. You look at his. His fights uh, in the UFC that he won, he's able to make do in really small windows. But as far as his Muay Thai to his fights before the UFC and fights inside the UFC, the the you know streamlining the theme that kind of the, that ties him in all the all together is is, is, is he's a builder. Um, but he, fortunately, he's not a Max Holloway like builder. He's just more of a traditional basic builder. Like a lot of them, those Muay Thai style guys, right? V Thai is gonna slowly work his way into the fight. Um, I think that Azatar is pretty much going to provide too many bumps in the road um, to disrupt that, whether it be takedowns or his counter right hand. So I'll take Azatar, but I didn't, I didn't play anything. I didn't stay away from that one. All right, co-main event, Corey Anderson. I always say Anderson like uh, Big Nog saying Anderson Silva. Like, that's just burning in my head. So no matter what the Anderson is, it's always Anderson. Oh, well, you know, I coach Anderson. And I told him that my hip... I can take him out. You can hit him with it, Anderson. <laughs> Sorry. 
I love Big Nog, but that is the that is how I associate Anderson. All right, Corey Anderson back on to stay on target. Stay on target. Corey Anderson plus one thirty five. Glover Teixeira minus one fifty five. Um, oh, by the way, I played the since I think it's gonna be a slogging affair with the heavyweight fight. I played the oh yeah, I already told you that. Dan, you've not gotten sleep. I know, I know these things. Oh, did I just fucking skip over Danny Roberts and uh, Zawada? I did, didn't I? Yeah, uh, Roberts uh, minus two eighty, Zawada plus two forty. Roberts, um, I actually just did a recommended parlay piece. I usually don't do those, but the line keeps going down on Roberts, and I get why people will play Zawada, but. Just the one-week notice, the fact that he wasn't training for a fight. He said he was training, he was in shape, and he was training with Southpaws. I don't disagree with him there. And KSW is a great platform to make the jump from, and he did face deceptively tough talent, and he is deceptively tough himself. And Roberts has been stopped in two of his last four, has been visibly stunned, dropped, or stopped in four of his six UFC appearances. Those trends speak loudly. There's your path. There's a nice number attached to Zawada for that path. Boom. Need no more from me. I get you. But it's also, especially given the matchups, you know, deceptively close matchups to obviously close matchups that this card kind of provides. This is one of the more straightforward angles of not just a short notice play, but Zawada has not faced. He says he's training with a lot of southpaws. We've not seen him against a lot of southpaws. He's not faced a lot of southpaws, much less high level ones in his, uh, in his timeline. Um, and you look at it, athletically, there's not a lot that jumps off the paper. Can he, does he have enough power to maybe catch, you know, uh, Roberts right with one shot? With Roberts' trend, aforementioned trend, sure. He has that kind of knockout power. But is it that deadening Hector Lombard at 170 knockout power? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. It doesn't look like it. And in fact, it doesn't look like it takes that to get him out of there. You look at the one fight that he did lose. It looks like some Asian dude who, like, walked in there at 168 pounds. It doesn't even belong in the weight class. Fucking knees him in the rib. And then, like, Zawada jumps through the fucking ropes and then comes up holding, like, his right eye on the opposite side of his head. Like, it looked bad. Like, you know Dan Tom. He doesn't, like, like to criticize people's chins. Uh, he likes to be, a, very, be obviously be very respectful to the fighters, first and foremost. He doesn't like to criticize chins. I'm very careful about that. And I'm very careful about saying guys quitting or any kind of fucking tomfoolery of that nature. There's some fucking tomfoolery in that fucking fight. At least I hope there was for Zawada's sake, because that's the only excuse. Because if there wasn't, Roberts is definitely going to fucking ice him. Because Roberts, I think, is his slick southpaw style is going to be too much. It's going to be a speed and a technique advantage that I believe is tailor-made for the aggressive Zawada, who needs to be aggressive because his kill zone is in that inner octagon black lines and fence, which is bad because Roberts can go there sometimes, but Roberts can also go to the takedowns when guys pressure him there, whether it's through the clinch or they're pressuring him to strikes, and, and he will change his level from time to time too. Uh, underrated. He's even done that before he came to training from the States. He was doing that when he was in the re in the regional scenes. Uh, in his early fights, Roberts was getting takedowns. In fact, just from the clinch even, Roberts' first three fights were uh, knees to the body from the clinch. So, Zawada likes to go to the clinch a lot. He's just not that great there. But, like, many journeymen slash not that great, many mid-level, master of none, kind of whatever kind of fighters you want to stereotype that way, they tend to go to the clinch a lot. Hence probably why you see strong inside the clinch as a not accolade that constantly pops up in my breakdowns. Anyways, uh, 
And yeah, anyways, uh, so I got Roberts as a recommended parlay piece. Uh, hey, there's a lot of fucking what shows up and wins a year and it's like good on him, but uh, I got Roberts as well as as, as for as a fantasy, which I'll I'm just gonna go recap those at the end there. No, ah, fuck my toe. I'm not gonna go ahead and backtrack those. All right, Coy Anderson, plus one thirty five, Glover Teixeira, plus minus one fifty five. You guys know these fighters by now. Corey Anderson, wrestle boxing, Mark Henry, developing. A little overinflated, maybe because there's, a, oh, there's an athletic guy throwing that accolade around like they often do um, unfairly, which I try. I, I throw that around, I, I but I feel like they do it unfairly with African-American fighters, but I feel like it's just an unfair accolade to throw at any type of fighters. <laughs> the explosive is the one that always got me, which I could spot that as a kid in basketball. Like, why are the black guys explosive, but the white guys, you know, this, like, like, can an Asian guy ever be explosive? Like you never fucking hear an Asian fight. Oh, this guy's explosive. Fucking Wang, Wang Lu, watch out, he'll explode on you. Fucking said no one ever. And I hate that. Again, I'm not Asian martial artist on the other side of this mic. People, believe me. If anybody supports him, it's me. But I'm just saying, like we we don't get that accolade. Like it's fucking. It's a funny. It's a funny two multi-sided, weird racist thing in broadcasting that we hear. That you know. Uh, and not really just saying races like coming at people. It's just one of those weird things, you know, like uptown, downtown, right? Like if you're if you if you're going if you're going up to someone's house, they probably live in a nice side of town, right? Like, like I'm going to visit John up in the Hamptons. You're not saying I'm going to go visit John down in the Hamptons, right? But if you're going to visit fucking Tyrone and Compton, you're like yeah, I'm going down to Compton to visit Tyrone. You know, oh, I'm traveling up to Compton for the weekend, <laughs> right? So I mean, it's this it's this inherent like. I'm just going to use, it's not racism, but I, I'm tired and I, I can't use the proper word, so I'm just going to say racism. It's like this inherent thing we all have, in other words. So I'm, uh, it's something that's just one of those it's funny things that, that are there. Dan, what are we breaking down here? I don't know. Um, Glover, <laughs> I'm thinking Glover to share here, essentially, because uh, even though now I believe Anderson is earning those accolades, of that's what it was, now Anderson is earning those accolades of athleticism that were tossed upon him early in his career, because we're seeing real improvements, which is, oddly enough, he credits his girlfriend, prop, sounds like Corey Anderson's got himself a good girl over there, fucking keeping him straight, keeping the ego and the tech, you know, keeping him the ego in check, telling him, you know, check your technique, son, get that boxing in order, and uh, he did, man, he was showing much better head movement, and then was more importantly, he was able to out-wrestle a fucking Really good wrestler in Pat Cummings. You say what you want about Pat Cummings, but his negative things you couldn't say about him what weren't weren't in the wrestling department. That's for damn sure. He's a, a higher accoladed wrestler than Anderson, uh, and didn't look like that at all. Did not look like that. Uh, so we could see that. You know, we could see that Phil Davis style. You know, uh, even though he's not as sticky uh, in the clinch, uh, but it's not for Anderson's lack of trying. He will make. Glover or anybody's life a living hell if they let him in under his armpits and he starts working a body lock, getting you down, re-wrestling you, uh, mat returns, riding you when you turtle up, striking you on the way in transition. The problem is it's Corey's volume, and I hate saying it as a problem because it's the strongest attribute, and it's one of my more favorite attributes, especially when looking at fights from a betting perspective, guys that can put out volume. The problem is he's trying to continue that volume when he gets guys to the ground, and when you're continuing that strike volume and you're making that space to strike, you are also making space to get up. So you're seeing that he's not able to hold these guys down, whereas Phil could not only strike, ride, and make miserable, he was holding the whole time. He's had those crazy limbs and just knew how to make them work. I feel another, you know, miss, they call him Mr. Wonderful for a reason, okay? And Teixeira, a guy who is super classy, not making any excuses. Fuck, dude. I, I, uh, by the way, 
he's the nicest guy ever, and I congratulations, Dan Tom. You somehow pissed off Glover. That like pissed him off for real, but like got a react, a pissed off reaction out of Glover to share because I brought up that fight. He did not want that fight brought up. Maybe it was the weight cut and travel. Probably was, but we did catch him mid travel, like airport wise. But uh, he got real pissed when he, when he called uh, Junkie Radio for the interview this week, uh, this last week for the interview, and um, I brought up that fight, and I didn't bring it up in a negative, but just just to kind of so he could address that. You know, you try to just serve him up, you ask the real obvious question kind of thing. That's all I was kind of doing, and uh, he was like, "Yeah, I had that fight, man. It's a bad weight cut, man. I did, I did, I did. never a miserable, made me change." And it's true. You look at his physique; he actually started carrying a lot less muscle, and this was before the USADA changeover. So you can kind of save those accusations as far as that goes for that for this issue um it wasn't anything like that uh, he did change it and the result spoke spoke for itself and if you look at it before he got to the us before that fight and even before he got to the ufc and since that fight uh cardio and wrestling wise he's looked great so and he's one of the more honest stand-up dudes you're gonna meet as a fighter so yeah i have every reason to believe him when he makes an excuse for that one performance, I believe him. And even if he didn't, I'm still not necessarily sold. Anderson can do the same thing as Davis. So, again, this is going to be one of those typical things where I think, you know, he, Anderson, it's going to be typical from the Anderson point of view, he's going to be winning the fight all the way until he isn't, where I see the the, the finish coming from Teixeira's point of view looking a lot like that Teixeira Bader fight, where um, Teixeira ends up tagging him in or off the brakes and. Bader trying to wrestle and it becomes like kind of trying to scramble and he catches him, you know, and puts him out with that left hook right hand. So I'm taking to share there. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to play it. We'll see where that line goes. It's playable now, but we'll see how I feel. All right, main event time. Mauricio Hua plus 170, Anthony Smith minus 200. The line kind of leveling out. I was surprised to not just see Anthony Smith like minus 220, minus 225 territory, but just to see Anthony Smith favored to be honest because I'm somebody who not just a supporter of Anthony Smith was a defender of Anthony Smith because public perception was never high in Anthony Smith and shout out to Anthony Smith uh, one of the first fighters to give this podcast a shout um, because even the few times where I picked against him it was always very complimentary I've never even the few times I picked against the guy I'm always very complimentary of his skills and most people weren't, so I was just really surprised to see this, especially because my analysis, despite being high on Anthony Smith, was leaning towards Shogun Hula. When you forget about the trends, damage trends, which I'll get to here in a second, you look at it and you go, okay, Anthony Smith, the reason why I picked against him against Tiago Santos, even though I really wanted to pick him as the underdog there, was because Anthony Smith, the one thing about his striking, not just defense, which is kind of a broad criticism, but lackadaisical kick defense. And something I would say to him, something I would say to his coach, who, by the way, Mark Montoya, excellent coach, Factory X Muay Thai. I really like him. I made it, I really made it a point to tell Mark that we had him on the show for the first time, and we're going to make it a point to get him on again. I know George said so, which is great, um, to get Mark on again because uh, he's one of those guys, very, you know, he doesn't do anything to stand out. Not, not a media-hungry guy, but you watch him in the corner, and he's really good at getting a fighter to forget about that last round. And focus on what the fuck he has to do for the next one. Uh, I don't know how much psychology he plays in it, but he's one of those guys who quietly does a lot psychologically. He does a lot of the stuff right. And in the corner, less is more. You only have 45 seconds to work. Less is more. 
yes, I like the Greg Jackson tactics and all that stuff, and there's a lot of use for what he does. I'm not coming at him, just using it as an example for you guys to cite this kind of grander point. But when you get a little too woo-woo, when you start trying to, you know, kind of grandiose your points, you, you start. it's a real fine line. You start taking away from the fighter, the time frame, and the whole point of the thing. So I really like Mark. Shouts to Mark Montoya. I really like his corner work. Um, but, yeah, there's lackadaisical t- kick defense from uh, Anthony Smith. And obviously Shogun Hua, the leg kick fucking guy, the dude, the thudding leg kick fucking guy um, for years now, obviously. Uh, but also right hands, um, you know, from being tall, upright, lack of head movement. Again, you know, you criticize the defense of Smith. The right hands have been there for opponents, and that's one thing Shogun's had. He's had a really, uh, you know, Smith was saying he hasn't evolved, and I agree with that criticism, but also I also disagree with it in the sense of I think he has. I think Shogun's just mild himself down, probably because he's had to because his knees are shot to shit, which questions how much he can probably effectively leg kick, which part and parcel plays to why I pick Smith, which I'll get to here in a second. But he's really honed his style down to where, and maybe, again, maybe he's had to, but... It's more focused now where it's feints and triggers, feints and triggers, feints and triggers. He's coming forward, right hand, faint, faint, right hand, or faint, faint, draw, drawing you to come right hand over the top of yours. And he always, it's not that crashing, it isn't really counter in the sense of I'm going to draw you, draw, draw a strike out from you and then, and then strike after. But he's more the counter as in I'm gonna, I've got this, the trigger on a fucking hair trigger. So as soon as I see you strike, I'm striking at the same time. I'm going to crash strikes. I'm going to collide distance. A lot of ways you can put this, and I'm probably not using the proper terminology. Forgive me. But, uh, you know, he does it at the same time, and in that sense, he's countering guys. So I could see him completely uh, stinging Smith and then getting a follow-up off that. But Smith is pretty durable. You know, he does get hit a lot, and you see that he's been stopped a lot. But you look at those stoppages. They were early on in his career when he was a developing fighter, A, B, he also got thrown in against deceptively tough competition, even if it was a lot of regional slog. Um, C, all of those except Adlan Amagov, which was a fight where he just had a baby who was waiting to get a, a... By the way, the worst omen, right? Speaking of Shogun, when Forrest went to fight Shogun for the second time, Forrest was, oh, I'm having my first baby. That's always a bad thing. That's all the fighter ever talks about is fight week of their first baby. And even though they say they're going to put it aside, no matter how veteran, no matter how much of a dog they are, no matter how much is on the line, they always end up losing by fucking first round knockout. Steve Miocic just happened the same thing, right? Um, and then this happened to Anthony Smith as having his first baby. They're talking about it on the broadcast, goes in there, and actually doing good. Rocks Adlon Amagov, who's a fucking mean striker, hasn't been beaten since then. Had some kind of bullshit legal injury visa, I forget what. Then had a fight in 2016. Juan, I haven't been around since. I don't know. So, anyways, not not any slouch. Hits him with the fucking perfect shot that would have put anybody out. Respectable KO, and that was really the only clean KO because the other ones were more like. Anthony Smith getting put in bad position. Surprise, surprise. If you've seen his footage, he gets put in bad position a lot and was pinned in kind of as an accumulation of move fighter, move fighter, and he wasn't moving. It was like, ah, oh, fuck. Oh, man. And he's sitting there like, ah, oh, shit. Kind of a thing. Like, those were the stoppages. It wasn't like he's just getting iced and it's like a shitty chin. Like, so it's it's real deceptive, you know. His it, uh, You look at the way he fights, the stereotype to what you see on paper, and it's real easy. But oh, this guy fucking is a liability, a walking liability, but it's not necessarily the case. 
you know, that being said, there's a real clear pass to Shogun. So, again, I'm really surprised to see him as the dog here. More importantly, I think Shogun's going to wrestle. And Smith's real smart, real sharp. He spotted this. He, he said it without me even having to coax it out of him in the interview uh, when he was breaking down uh, Shogun. Where he's like, I think he's going to go to the wrestling. And I, I think I think Anthony's right. Uh, I think Shogun is going to go to that wrestling. He's always had underrated takedown ability, actually. And it, people don't talk about it. I mean, even when you go look at his back, uh, back in pride uh, in that 2005 and pre that 2005 run, uh, against these Japanese fellers who are trying to take him down and grapple him, or even the ones where he takes down to finish off, he is deciding those terms. It's his takedown ability. Now, the underrated wrestling is mainly within the takedowns, and you got to wonder how much of that is is there, because if you look at it, even against guys like Noguera or against Judica's like uh, Nakamura, um, Shogun, a lot of his takedowns in top position is because he was reversing guys, but he was reversing guys midair where like they would be deep in on a takedown, and Shogun's hips... He could just fucking rotate. Now, not only is he older, again, there's aforementioned knee injuries. Can he be hitting those? You know, probably not as well. But again, the fact that those were instilled into him to do against respectable judo guys like Nakamura, who you might laugh at, but at the time, that's fucking really legit. And Nakamura actually gave him a, a pretty tough fight back then. You go watch that. Um, and, and I mean, so Shogun's always had these, and then the takedowns kind of got better, and you could tell he brushed brushed up on those skills much more, attaching his outside leg trips to his shots um, when he was into the UFC, uh, so on and so forth. So I think he could do that, and Anthony Smith is not beyond being taken down, and if Anthony Smith doesn't show the urgency, it could be trouble. That being said, as good as Shogun is, you know, games evolve, and... And uh, I'm not sure his has as far as on the ground, whereas Smith is underrated on the ground and evolves on the ground. You look, I love that, that half-guard sweep he hits on a, uh, on a Andrew Sanchez. He's a real talented guy. And, again, he's, it's, 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 it's that cross-wrist control, elevates the hips, using his long frame. He knows what the fuck he's got. So if he gets in top position here, it could be troublesome. But, again, ultimately... Smith's uptrending, right? Like I'm saying, and like I mentioned and teased before, Shogun is downtrending as the same my breakdown dropped or stopped in six of his last ten fights. I don't like that trend. I don't like this once a year thing. I do believe the Daniel Cormier thing will motivate him. Um, but you know, he was already especially at this age where he's at, he was for sure already winding down his sparring by the time that news even broke. I mean, how much of a difference is it really going to make besides mental? Um, which is really all it comes down to and all he has anyway. So maybe it will. Who knows? Uh, and, and, yeah, maybe they'll fighting once a year. It's not a big of a deal for a guy like Shogun. It's probably good for a guy his age and his, his health condition. So I don't think that's going to be necessarily bad either. Anthony Smith, the short notice, won't be that bad because it's, you know, 205. He's not cutting as much weight. He's coming. His body hasn't settled into it yet, so it's still going to be easier for him to make the cut. He hasn't probably developed the muscle and settled into the frame as much. Um, and he was only uh, active just last month, so I'll take Smith here to hit a, you know, hit a knee or hit a hit a counter right hand, a long right hand, like a Lombard in the Lombard fight. What I'm seeing, uh, but uh, but yeah, um, it's gonna be a Muay Thai maelstrom that I'm just gonna watch burn in all its glory, as I say. In the breakdown, all right, so for fantasy, I got from top to bottom Danny Roberts. I went ahead and spent the money on that. I think he's going to get the finish and make it worth it. I also went a lot of low to mid-tier, so I, I had I had the, the prices to, to buy these bigger guys. I also went Manny Bermudez. I feel like he's going to get the submission. And, that, that you know, again, the striking match with Robert Sawada is going to force a, a knockout, and I'm going to side with Roberts to be on the right side of it. 
Um, and I believe there's going to force a stoppage where I think it will be a submitted submission between uh, Bermudez and Grant. Uh, next, I got to DeShera in the co-main event again. DeShera wins. It's going to be by knockout. And he might actually get some deceptive takedowns in there, depending. He's an underrated wrestler. He could hurt Corey Anderson and rack up some points in some form or the other before he does eventually find the finish to pay off his price. Of course, got to find your dogs. Uh... And usually, Dan Tom always grabs his dogs in his official spots where he picks them. Yeah, that's right. So I officially pick Hadzo. Hadzo made the list, 7,700. Um, because if he wins, it's going to be by a Hail Mary knockout, and uh, which should be more than enough to uh, contribute to the team for the price that he costs. Mauricio Hua costs 7,500. I took him. Even though I picked Smith, like I just said, they're, they're easy to see past the victories for both guys. Someone's going fucking down. And uh, you want to have some 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 skin in the main event. So why not Hua? Who, again, being even though I'm picking Smith, unfairly written off, I don't agree with the line here. Uh, so, yeah, th- there he is in the fantasy. Nazareth Hack Press, of course, got to make some room. And he's a guy that I think can win. And his path to win involves takedowns, which score high. On the fantasy point of view. So for 7,300, Nat, Pat, Nas, Rack, Hack, Paras rounds out the fantasy list for a 4,900, 700 total for me. Parlay, recommended parlay pieces, Danny Roberts, minus 290, who is now minus 280. As I look at my screen, props, Stefan Struve versus Marcin Tabor over 1.5, minus 170, which still holds right now, minus 1.75 units. Uh, I did play Stasiak, uh, or I did play, yeah, I did play Stasiak officially, 1.5 units for minus 105. And yes, even though it's not on the official article, I played Khadzavich minus 140, as well as Hack Paras plus 150. I just put a, just a friendly end on those for fun. That was all, Dan. Avoid Dark Dick Stosic versus Grizzly Kimball, uh, Grant Bermudez, um, and Rakik Ledet. Hopefully, Ledet found food, but not too much because he had to make 205, right? Which he did, but I'm just saying he found the right food. Hopefully, not too much schnitzel. Um, iTunes, I don't deserve anything, but you can always rate uh, the podcast, which we've only gotten five-star reviews. Thank you all for that. You can go keep those up there to keep me somewhat in the standings, even though Dan Tom is terrible and doesn't track analytics, which he will do in August, amongst other things he will do. Ah! Uh, but until then, until I get on those other platforms, like I just uh, alluded and hinted to and explained at the beginning of the podcast, you can find us at mixedmarshallanalyst.com forward slash podcast there. Any page on that site, you can find links to Amazon, which uh, somebody must have been listening to my Twitter feed because somebody bought Whiplash. Um, and somebody bought UFC. There's click-throughs. Yes, you can support the podcast without spending the money. Uh, just spending money you're already going to spend. And I don't feel bad asking for that because, again, you're not spending any money toward me. I just get a little kickback money you're going to already going to already spend. So MixedMarshallLines.com, Amazon click-through. Thank you for buying Whiplash. Great movie. Uh, UFC 83 must be a George St. Pierre fan. I'm going to go ahead and guess. Matt, George St. Pierre, Matt Sarah 2. Pride Final Conflict 2005. Good stuff there. And uh, looks like some bunch of Keurig packets. Yeah, that's right. Someone bought a Keurig Maker about a couple months ago. I remember. Thank you. That was a pretty, uh, well, not super expensive, but I mean, you know, those things are up there. Um, so thank you for buying that. Looks like you were refilling through Mixed Martial Analyst too. Buying your Keurig K-Cup thingies there, or whatever they're called. Thank you so much for that. And uh, on it, uh, Hemp Active and Alpha Brain. Not going to lie, those were me. Thank you, me. Um, 
and nothing new since the last time. I already read those last ones there. All right, again, that's MixedMartialAnalyst.com. Enjoy UFC Hamburg. Apologies for the late podcast. Thank you guys for listening, tweeting at me, even though it's like this late little mythical unicorn called the Protecting Neck Podcast that dances out there. I really appreciate it. Good luck on your picks and plays, and until next time, protect your necks.